Welcome to Russian History Retold, episode number 272, Fabergé, More Than Just Eggs. Last time, we covered the history of one of the world's greatest museums, the Hermitage. Today, we cover the history of one of the world's greatest jewelers, who has one of their creations, the Rothschild Egg, displayed at that very St. Petersburg Museum, Fabergé. The House of Fabergé was a jewelry firm founded in 1842 in St. Petersburg, Russia, by Gustav Fabergé. Gustav's sons, Peter Carl and Agathon, as well as his grandsons, followed him in running the business until it was nationalized by the Bolsheviks in 1918. The story of how they became the jewelers to the last czars is what we'll be talking about today, along with describing some of those very expensive and beautiful eggs. The Fabergé family can be traced back to France in the 1600s under the name Favry. They were based in the region of Picardy in the town of La Boutte in northern France. However, being Protestants, they were forced to leave the country after the revocation of the Edict of Nantes by King Louis XIV. As a result, an estimated 250,000 fellow Huguenots, as the movement of French Protestants was known, became refugees. As they began their trek eastward, the family would gradually change their last name. It changes to Favri, Fabri, Fabiri, Fabergés, and then Fabergé without an accent. By 1800, an artisan named Pierre Favri, later Fabriere, had settled in Parnu, in the Baltic Conference or province of Livonia, now known as Estonia. Gustav Fabriere was born there in 1814. By 1825, the family's name had evolved to Fabergé. In the 1830s, Gustav Fabergé moved to St. Petersburg to train as a goldsmith specializing in making gold boxes. Later, he continued his training with the celebrated firm of Keibel, goldsmiths and jewelers to the czars. In 1841, his apprenticeship over, Gustav Fabergé earned the title of Master Goldsmith. It is Gustav would find a jewelry shop in a basement in St. Petersburg. He would add the accent to his last name in an attempt to look and sound more French. At the time, the nobility of Russia was enamored of all things French, especially the Romanovs. Later that year, Gustav married Charlotte Jungstedt, the daughter of Karl Jungstedt, an artist of Danish origin. In 1846, the couple had a son, Peter Karl Fabergé, popularly known as Karl. However, it was Karl who would elevate the family business to the heights it would reach before the revolution. When Karl was a boy, he would attend the prestigious Gymnasium of St. Anne's, a school that many of the more affluent middle class and lower nobility would send their children. After graduating, Karl would take a business course at the Dresden Handelsschule. Then, at age of 18, he embarked on a grand tour. Karl visited some of the best goldsmiths in Frankfurt, France, and England. 
he attended a course at Schloss's Commercial College in Paris and viewed the objects in the galleries of Europe's leading museums. During this time, Carl's father, Gustav, retired to his home in Dresden, leaving the family business to be run by his trusted managers. Carl returned to St. Petersburg in 1872, aged 26. For the following 10 years, his father's workmaster, Hiskius Pendlin, acted as his mentor and tutor. In 1881, the firm moved to a larger street-level premises at 16-18 Bolshaya Morskaya. Following Pendon's death in 1882, Carl took over the running of the firm. Three other significant events happened that year. First, he was awarded the title of Master Goldsmith. Second, Agathon Fabergé, his younger brother by 16 years, joined the business. Third, Agathon, a skilled artist himself, would stay with the country and the company until his untimely death on March 29, 1895, at the age of 32. Lest you think that the Fabergé business was a small one, with a few master artists working there, by the time Carl took over, they would have about 20 artisans working for them. Carl would focus his business on manufacturing jewelry and decorative objects, while expanding the firm's concentration to include furniture, functional objects, and famously, objects of fancy. But his big break, the one that would get him noticed by Tsar Alexander III, was his work on repairing and restoring things in the Hermitage Museum. Fabergé was invited to exhibit at the 1882 Pan-Russian Exhibition in Moscow because of his excellent work at the museum. One of the Fabergé pieces displayed at the exhibition was a replica of a 4th century BC gold bangle from the Scythian treasure in the Hermitage. Tsar Alexander III declared that he could not distinguish Fabergé's work from the original. He ordered that specimens of work by the House of Fabergé should be displayed in the Hermitage Museum as examples of superb contemporary Russian craftsmanship. Not only did Carl do such an excellent job of replication, but he also incorporated the designs into more modern works of art. A review in the magazine Naiva proclaimed, quote, Mr. Fabergé opens a new era in the art of jewelry. We wish him all the best in his efforts to bring back into the realm of art what once used to be part of it. They also noted that, quote, Her Majesty honored Fabergé by buying a pair of cufflinks with images of cicadas, which, according to ancient Greek belief, brings luck. In 1885, the House of Fabergé was bestowed with the coveted title, quote, Goldsmith by special appointment to the Imperial Crown, beginning an association with the Russian Tsars. While the company was now acknowledged as one of the finer jewelers in Russia, it did have a lot of competition. In 1883, there were five jewelers that had items purchased from them by the Tsar and his family. Some of Carl's friends from the Hermitage tried to get him an imperial warrant, but that was refused as it was the ultimate honor and one not lightly given. A Russian Orthodox tradition my family consistently adhered to on Easter Sunday was the exchange of eggs and the cracking of eggs between each other to see whose egg was best. 
We would also greet each other with the words, Christos Vaskresi, Christ is risen, to which the reply would be, Vaistun Vaskresi, or He is risen indeed. Tsar Alexander III wanted to up his game regarding egg-giving when he ordered Fabergé to create something impressive to give to his wife, Marie Fyodorovna. What he got was a two-and-a-half-inch white enameled egg with a gold band across the middle. This would be known as the hen egg. It would be the first in a long line of bejeweled eggs that the House of Fabergé would produce every year for the Tsar of Russia. Over the next 130-plus years, they would be some of the world's most sought-after pieces of art. It is estimated that today, if you wanted to purchase the hen egg, it would set you back at least $6 million. And it isn't even near the most expensive one. The third imperial Easter egg is a solid 18-karat gold case decorated with diamonds and sapphires, held up by three sets of corbel-like legs ending in lion's paws. The surprise inside is a 14-karat gold Vacheron Constantine ladies' watch featuring diamond-set hands. While it not, might not be worth as some of the most expensive in the world, it is undoubtedly the most costly Fabergé egg. But the most exciting fact about this comes from recent history when a scrap dealer discovered it in 2011 after letting it sit in his kitchen for years before discovering its true origin. It sold for an undisclosed amount in 2014 and is now estimated to be worth $33 million. A total of 69 eggs were produced between 1885 and 1917, with 57 still known today. Ten of the imperial eggs are on display at Moscow's Kremlin Armory Museum. In addition, many of the eggs belonging to museums and private collectors are still around. One private collector, Victor Vexelberg, owns a total of 15 Fabergé eggs, making him the single largest owner of them in the world. As for the hen egg, as I mentioned before, it has a two and a half inch outer enamel shell and gold band around the middle. The egg opens to reveal a golden yolk within, revealing a golden hen sitting on, a, on golden straw. Inside the hen lay a miniature diamond replica of the imperial crown and a ruby pendant, although these two elements have been lost. It was given to the Tsarina on May 1st, 1885. The egg cost 4,151 rubles at the time. So today that would be about $110,000. Six weeks later, the Tsar made Fabergé the supplier to the imperial court. It would skyrocket his international fame and fortune. The tradition of making an egg for the Tsar to give to the Tsarina had begun. The Fabergé jewelers would make this gift happen 32 more times. What was interesting about the production of the eggs and the other pieces they would create was how it was done. In his book, Fabergé's Eggs, Toby Faber puts it this way, quote, Carl had established a system, however, that maintained quality without his personal involvement. It was based around a system of semi-independent workshops, each headed by an experienced 
workmaster, often from Finland. One of the things that differentiated Fabergé from the rest of the world's jewelers was their use of enamel and color. The top artists would only use three colors, white, blue, and pink. Fabergé used over a hundred, ranging from mauve to lime green, as Faber puts it. Another advantage Fabergé had over his competitors was his lack of greed. He made a decent profit, but he tried to limit it so as not to be too expensive. While researching this episode, I was intrigued by how each egg created for the Tsar and Tsarina had a different theme. How they came up with something so unique and intricate was fascinating. However, it just wasn't the artistry that was incredible. It was the imagination that made their eggs and jewelry so high in demand. At this point in the episode, I'd like to share what the egg designs were and the surprises each had. Tsar's Alexander III and his son Nicholas II gave an egg to their wives each Easter over the years. We mentioned the hen egg, which was the first one and still exists. The second, which is lost to history, is the sapphire pendant egg. It was sent to Tsar Alexander III on April 5, 1886, from Fabergé's workshop. The Tsar presented the egg to Tsarina Maria Fyodorovna on April 13, of the same year. Unfortunately, we do not know much about this particular egg, as there are no pictures of it, and no one knows where it is. The next egg is aptly named the Third Imperial Egg. It is a jeweled and ridged yellow gold egg that stands on a tripod pedestal with lion paw feet encircled by colored gold garlands suspended from a cabochon blue sapphire topped with rose diamond set bows. This egg has a fascinating history as it disappeared after the Russian Revolution and was discovered in, of all places, an American flea market. In 2014, it was purchased by London-based jeweler Wartsky on behalf of an unidentified private collector. The fourth egg, known as the Cherub with Chariot, also known as the Angel with Egg and Chariot, was created and delivered to Alexander III in 1888. It, along with the fifth egg, the Nécessaire, are both missing. The Danish palace's egg, given to the Empress in 1890, is pink mauve and is enameled with gold split into 12 sections. It measures just 4 inches tall by 2 and 5 eighths inches wide. Six vertical lines of rose-cut diamonds and three horizontal lines separate the enamel panels from one another. An emerald is at each intersection of the lines separating the panels, and the egg is crowned with a medallion of radiating leaves around a star sapphire. The opposite end of the egg is chased with additional acanthus leaves. Now just imagine, it's just four inches tall and all this detail. The memory of Azov egg was given by the Tsar to his wife in 1891. Carved from a solid piece of heliotrope jasper, also known as bloodstone, the memory of Azov egg is decorated in the Louis XV style with a superimposed gold pattern of Rococo scrolls with brilliant diamonds and chased gold flowers. 
The broad flute gold bezel had as a drop ruby and two diamonds that complete the clasp. The egg's interior is lined with green velvet. It commemorates the voyage of Tsarevich Nicholas and Grand Duke George of Georgia when they took this aboard the Pamiet Azova to the Far East in 1890. The trip was made after a suggestion by their parents to broaden the outlook of the future Tsar and his brother. Unfortunately, it was also the trip where an assassination attempt was made on Tsarevich Nicholas in Japan. In 1892, the diamond trellis egg was produced for the Tsar. The egg is made of jadeite, gold, and rose-cut diamonds, and is lined with white satin. It is carved from pain-greel jadeite, and is enclosed in a lattice of rose-cut diamonds with gold mounts. The egg is hinged, with a large diamond sitting at its base. The interior surprise was a unique one, an automaton of an elephant in ivory. It was the first automaton made by Fabergé for an imperial egg. Even got things to move inside this. Just incredible. The 1893 edition was the Caucasus egg. The egg is made of yellow and very colored gold, silver, ruby enamel, rose-cut diamonds, portrait diamonds, platinum, ivory, pearls, rock crystal, and watercolor on ivory. It commemorates Abu Stumani in the Caucasus, where Grand Duke George spent most of his life after being diagnosed with tuberculosis. The miniatures inside are revealed by opening four pearl-bordered doors around the egg. Each door bears a diamond-set numeral of the year, forming the year 1893. Behind the hinged cover at the top is a portrait of the Grand Duke in his naval uniform. The Renaissance egg was the last one that Tsar Alexander III gave to his wife, Empress Maria Fyodorovna. Its inner surprise has been lost, but it's been suggested that it was full of pearls. Its history of ownership after the provisional government confiscated it is fascinating. First, it was sold to American businessman Armand Hammer. Then it went to eccentric British aristocrat Henry Talbot de Vere Clifton, then to the owners of Swing Line Staplers, before ending in the hands of Victor Vexlesberg, which we've mentioned before, who's a Russian-Ukrainian-Cypriot oligarch. With the death of Alexander in November 1894, it was up to his son Nicholas to continue the tradition, which he did with the creation of the Rosebud Egg, made in 1895. It was a gift to his new wife, Empress Alexandra, but unfortunately she was missing her rose garden in her old home in Darmstadt. The egg opens to reveal a yellow enameled rosebud, which two surprises were originally contained, a miniature version of the imperial crown of Russia with diamonds and two rubies, and an egg-shaped ruby pendant suspended from it. Starting in 1895 and continuing until 1917, two eggs were commissioned, one for Empress Alexandra and one for Nicholas's mother. I will continue to describe the one given to Alexandra. The rock crystal egg, or revolving miniatures egg, was created in 1896. The outer shell is rock crystal banded with emerald green enameled gold studded with diamonds. On the egg's apex, 
is a 27-carat Siberian emerald supported by an emerald green enameled gold mount. This cabochon-style emerald is one of the largest gemstones Fabergé used in any of the imperial eggs. In 1897, we have the Imperial Coronation Egg. It is trellised with bands of greenish-gold laurel leaves mounted at each intersection by a gold imperial double-headed eagle enameled opaque black and set with a rose diamond on its chest. This pattern was also drawn from the coronation robe worn by the Empress. The surprise is that it is fitted inside a velvet-lined compartment and is a precise replica less than four inches long of the 18th century imperial coach that carried Tsarina Alexandra to her coronation at Moscow's Uspensky Cathedral. The 1898 Lilies of the Valley egg is covered in pearls and topped with a rose-pink enamel field. The egg is supported by legs of green gold leaves with rose-cut diamond dewdrops. The gold-stemmed lilies have green enamel leaves and flowers made with a gold set of rubies, pearls, and diamonds. The surprise is that it is elevated out of the egg by twisting a gold-mounted pearl button. When fully raised, three portraits are visible under the imperial crown set with a ruby. Tsar Nicholas II and his two oldest daughters, Grand Duchess Olga and Grand Duchess Tatiana, painted on ivory. In 1899, the bouquet of lilies clock egg represented one of the larger Fabergé eggs. The egg-shaped clock and its rectangular pedestal are decorated with translucent enamel on a patterned background. The body of the clock is divided into 12 parts, which are outlined in diamond-studded stripes. We don't know what the surprise was, but it's been suggested that it included rubies. The next egg is the 1900 Trans-Siberian Railway Egg made of onyx, silver, gold, and quartz and decorated with colored enamel. The lid of the egg is hinged, has an overlay of green enamel, and is decorated with inlaid leaves of acanthus. On top of the cover is a golden three-headed eagle in gold with the imperial crown. The interior is lined with velvet. We're going to skip the 1901 edition. As we're really unsure of the authenticity of the one known as the basket of flowers egg. In 1902, the clover leaf egg was produced. It is made of a pattern of stems and leaves of clover forming the shape of an egg. The gaps between the metal outline of the leaves are covered with transparent green, bright green enamel. A fragile golden ribbon paved with rubies curls through the foliage. The surprise in the egg has been lost, but according to archives, it was a four-leaf clover with 23 diamonds and four miniature portraits of the four daughters of the Tsar, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia. The 1903 creation known as the World Danish Egg has been lost, and we don't know very much about it. No egg was produced in either 1904 or 1905 due to Russia's involvement in the Russo-Japanese War. In 1906, the only egg not sold after the Russian Revolution was created, named the Moscow Kremlin. One of the largest produced, the cathedral dome top is removable, and the church's interior can be seen. 
Its carpets, tiny enameled icons, and high altar on an oval glass plate are made visible through four triple windows, surmounted by gold cupola and flanked by two square, two stylized circular turrets, the former based on the Spassky Tower. The surprise that it had a music box inside. Well, I think by now you'll get the gist of what the Fabergé eggs were all about. So I'll just stop describing them now. Instead, here are the names of the last 11 made. Rose Trellis, Alexander Palace, Standard Yacht, Colonnade, 15th Anniversary, Zarevich, Romanov Tercentenary, Mosaic, Red Cross with Triptych, Steel Military, and the Unfinished Constellation, begun in 1917. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time when we start a new series, possibly one of the saddest I have ever put on. And I'm right now in the midst of finishing up the fifth episode. So there are going to be five uh, in this series. And it's about the gulags. So, until next time, das vidanya y spasiba za